Would you stand for the reading of the word? We're going to talk about Elijah, the Tish bite. It's always some funny words in Scripture. I'm reading from the New King James. People say when you first get saved, you read the Bible funny. Go to the book of Job if you need to get a job. (laughs) You think John 3.16 is the location of the bathrooms on the third floor? And Acts 2.38 are the weapons you should have in your house whenever you get saved. And Acts and 2.38. But in the presence of the Lord, we want to read his word. And we're jumping into the story of Elijah where he's speaking to Ahab. And it says in the first verse, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. He said, as the Lord God of Israel lives, this will prove that there is a living God. Have you ever had something prove in your life that there's a living God? And that statement is very powerful if you understand what's going on in this scripture. And sometimes we just blow right by this situation. But if you know the backstory, I'm going to try to give you the backstory today of that one statement and how powerful it is. Before whom I stand, I'm standing before him. There shall not be dew nor rain these three, these years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. I don't know if it was a Cherith place, but it was brook Cherith. Yeah, that's a pastor joke. And it will, here we go, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Wait, what? We got a dirty bird with the right zip code. He's going to feed him with ravens. I thought black when, when you I thought when you saw a black raven it was a sign of bad luck, superstitious. And God said, "I don't believe in superstition." He said, "I'll feed you with a dirty bird if I want to. I'll have him bring you meat in the morning and meat and bread at night." That is what God does. So go ahead and take all your superstitions off of God. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flowed into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread, just as God said, and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. I just want to preach to you for a little while about God moments. Those moments that God does beautiful things in our life, and we need him to do it. He keeps us. And then what follows in God moments is there will be a rain of blessing and a rain of anointing. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I'm so thankful that you teach us through Elijah today, that you help us in understanding your ways through him. We ask you to bless the people of God in the hearing of the word. In Jesus' name, 
all those who are gathered online and all those who are here, bless them, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Fortune favors the brave is an old Roman proverb. Fortune favors the brave. If that is the only thing you're going after is wealth, then you might end up disappointed. But whenever you step into the kingdom of God, you start reading scriptures like to lose your life is to find it, and to find your life in Christ Jesus is to lose it. It turns all your economic understanding on its head, literally flips everything over that whenever you are broke, if you can go to your piggy bank and sow that into the offering at church, that that sacrificial gift when you're broken actually brings blessing into your life. It's completely opposite of what would make logical sense. And so when you take a drive down logic lane, you say, this shouldn't work. This, is, this makes no sense. I'm going to just get a second job. I'm going to Uber. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to you know, launch some pizzas after work. I'm going to do something where I have a, a, a way to just earn more money because we have more expenses. But when you start to live for God, you realize that he is in charge of the rain and the blessings in your life. And when something shuts off, there's a reason for it. Amen. When something starts to get dry and feel like a wilderness, God is up to something. Not only the blessings in your life, brothers and sisters, are God moments, but the wildernesses are God moments as well. Could I preach a little bit today like I feel it? I feel like Jesus could have just turned around and said, I'm not interested in going into the wilderness before he was launched into his ministry, but he was led there by the Holy Ghost. In other words, the driest, most difficult moments of your life can very well be the greatest God moments of your life, brothers and sisters. And I want to tell you today that while God is doing something miraculous, he is often removing things that keep you from stepping into greater blessing and anointing in God. Literally, God has a process, and God's process will always deal with the idols that are in your life. Anything that gets between you and God becomes a target for God. God will take it out, amen? God will move it out of the way because he is absolutely enamored with you. He absolutely loves you with a God-like love that has no comparison anywhere in the universe. Literally, God adores you. And if you put something in between him and you, he will do his best to remove it. And he'll ask you to do the same. He'll woo you. He'll draw you near. He'll point it out. In your moments of prayer, he'll say, we need to deal with this because if it grows any bigger, it becomes a fence between you and I. We need to deal with this because if it grows any bigger, you might build an idol and stop there to praise. You might, you might need to deal with that because if it grows any bigger, you'll give that glory over me and I cannot help but want to be near you. Anybody ever have God come and speak to you and say, let's deal with this together? 
God is doing that with Israel. God is literally dealing with something that started by Solomon. In this statement, you see that it is only just read topically if you look from the bottom up as the Lord God of Israel lives. We know that. They knew that. They understood that. But before I, whom I stand, he was saying, the God that I stand before is the same God that David stood before. And the God who needs to be worshipped here is the living God, not a dead God, not the Baal and Asherah, not the gods who you've propped up in Israel, Ahab, not the gods where you built golden calves and Dan and the northern tribe, not the places where you built a temple for Jezebel's worship of her her God from Sidon. In other, in other words, what's going on here is the land has been moved and impressed upon by evil Ahab who did wickedly in the sight of the Lord. His forefather did wickedly and his forefather, his grandpa did wickedly. But the Bible says that Ahab did even more wickedly than all of them. And so doing, he took on Jezebel. And Jezebel's dad was even known to be wicked he was a he was a server of of idols he literally was named Ethbel which is a derivative of Baal he was a man who was full of idol worship and when you find in scripture the father of Jezebel worshiped these gods and when he went and he Ahab found himself a bride among those people all of her gods came with. And it's the same picture that happened to Solomon back in Kings 11.1. And so God says here in the statement, as the Lord thy God liveth, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain in these years. Baal was known as the fertility god. But he was also known to them as the God of the earth, the God of rain and dew. And so what was happening here was Elijah went before them, and Elijah said, I am not only going to speak a word which God honors because I stand in right position with God. Hello, somebody. Oh, thank God that we are walking with God. So when we say something, God will help us and honor it. Amen? Oh. Oh, thank God that we don't realize that walking with God is, is more than just looking good and being shiny on Sunday and putting on a suit. Walking with God is not just for us. Walking with God is for when we need to speak a word over somebody's life. Walking with God is when we need to put a hand on somebody's forehead and pray sickness out of their life. Walking with God so we know the word of God and so that we can combat the lie of the enemy that are everywhere. We have so much lie dissemination that we need to be people of truth. And the more lies get published in our world, the more the truth has to get louder. And the more the truth has to be louder, the more the world will not like it. In fact, they will call you the one who causes trouble as they did Elijah. Amen? We know that the rain... Scripture says, falls on the just and the unjust. We know that. And it's talking about trouble that comes to our life. But when we get so far away from truth, eventually the trouble will be put on the people of truth. 
Eventually, the things that come into this earth, somebody will turn and say, it's the church that's causing it. It's those people of God that's causing it. And Ahab said the same of Elijah. Oh, the one that troubles Israel. It wasn't Elijah that was troubling Israel. He was just getting louder because there were so many lies. Fortunately, the loudest thing in our world right now are the lies. So we have to make sure the truth is getting preached. We have to make sure that in all these things, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, is loud enough. And Colossians 2 gets spoke over the pulpit. And people hear that there is only one God, so much to the point that when the fire fell on the sacrifice at, the, at, the, at Mount Carmel, that the people fell down and said, the Lord, he is God. So that people turn their hearts to God still amid all the lies. We literally have a message that changes the hearts of men and reveals the lies of this world. That he has always given us truth and promised it for every generation. And we are the ones that have to stand up and say the Lord still lives. And we still stand in right standing with him. And we stand there because not just for our blessings, not just because the rain of trouble's coming, but because we want revival in the earth. We want truth, just like God has told us that truth will endure to all generations. We are then the progenitors of truth, and we want truth to pass to our children and truth to pass to our children's children. We want to avoid the lies that are in the grooming that's going on in the school system through the indoctrination of, of false teachings and lies. We want to avoid the indoctrination of all kinds of labels that don't even fit the Word of God. I don't even know how many. We were at 58 genders, and now we're just adding on to infinity. I don't know where we're going with this as a nation, but I can tell you when the drought comes, there's a reason. When there's judgment that comes, there's a reason. And I don't know what that judgment is going to be, but brothers and sisters, it is an opportunity for the greatest revival of anointing. It may get dry and weary in our world, but there's still going to be a rain. There's still going to be something happening in the church. There's still a plan of God in all of this. I'm thankful that I know he's still got plans. But we have to prepare for it. We have to build our children for God moments. We have to build the church for God moments. We're planning next week for all next year. Pray for the course that pray. Pray for the leadership of this church because we're building for God moments in this place. Things that change your heart and my heart and our lives. We need that. We don't have the option of, of playing church anymore. We don't have the option of pretending like we're just going through the motions. We have to get louder, not softer. We have to speak it more clearly. We need God's help to articulate the anointing and the power of God that's going to fall on this world. There may be nothing on the shelves, but there still has to be something on the shelves at the church. There may be a shortage of 150, I heard, I heard uh, what is it, 150,000 containers sitting in the ocean right now that can't be unloaded at docks. There may be nothing that we can do about it at this moment, but we can pray. We can put a covering over everything. There may be rain of trouble coming, but we've got an umbrella of prayer, my brothers and sisters. Oh, I'm going to mess with your superstition right now. 
Because they say you're not supposed to open an umbrella inside the... I'm about to do it right now. Y'all don't like me. I went to a wedding, and the preacher had a good sermon, which included an umbrella over top of the bride and groom. And half of the family was Hispanic, and they were falling out. <laughs> you don't open an umbrella in church. <laughs> it's bad luck. We have a covering, though. I want you to deal with some superstitions. There's some things that people believe that are absolutely false. And one is that when trouble comes to the earth, God's not in control. That is not true. When trouble comes to your life, that God is not in control. That is not true. We have a prayer covering, amen, for the troubles that reign in our life. All you have to do is get your prayer umbrella out, and you just keep on whistling and walking, just whistling and walking, because there is a God who's working on your behalf, amen. Whatever comes your way, there is a covering for you. Amen. 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 Whatever happens, you have a prayer covering. And we all... We have always used the word revival to mean a soul influx in the church. But I want you to know that there may be a dry time coming where we deal with some difficult things that God may not take us out of, but he takes us through. I want you to know there may be some times where you can't buy things off the shelf. There may be some times where we have breakdown of, of our supply chain. There may be difficulties where we go through. And they went through three and a half years here of no rain, no dew. Why? Because God was saying, I am in charge of Baal. I'm in charge of everything you propped up to help you get through it. I'm in charge of everything you think you worship. I will take charge of it, and I will show you. They don't have control of the elements. They don't have control of the supply chain. They don't have control of everything. Even though our government is helping, I get that. They're releasing things, but they caused the problem, brothers and sisters. It literally is them fixing the things that they broke. I wish I could, I could say it, but I can't. This is a pulpit. I must preach the word of God, not what I know. You want to talk to me about broken supply chain and, and taking out, you know, those things. I'll tell, talk to you as a friend, but I'm not going to talk about it over the pulpit. He said, get away from here and go to a brook because there's going to be some things. But notice what happens when he's at the brook, the brook dries up because even the people of God go through what this world is going through. But the difference is we have a provider, amen? The difference is we have a way maker and we have an umbrella. And so we see that Elijah gets upset because he, prompt, he told Ahab that it wasn't going to rain. And Ahab actually found out that God was the God of dew and of rain, not Baal. And so then he, he's having a moment with God. And God dries up the brook. And it happens after a while that the brook dried up. The Bible says in verse 17, verse 7, chapter 17, verse 7, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. He's the one that said it's not going to rain. His problem came from the prophecy of God. You'd think at that point he'd go, well, this is what happens. But then the word of the Lord came to him, and then verse 9, it says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Anybody know who Jezebel's dad was king over? 
the Sidonites. Is it Sidonites? I don't know how you say that. Sidonians? Yes, that's what I meant. I read it earlier today. I just forgot now. He was king over the Sidonians. The place where Baal worship came from is where God chose to hide Elijah. Talk about slap in the face of Baal, right? It's like the thing that they're searching for, they're wanting to kill Elijah. Ahab sends out men to find him, search all the land for Elijah, and Elijah is sitting up in the source of where Baal worship came from. What God often does is when he begins a work in your life, he'll address you and say you have some things that are idols, and he'll take you back to the beginning of where something started. He'll quit in your mind and say, remember when you trusted in that more than you trusted in me. And he'll say, this is where this idol started and that is why there's no rain in the land. But he'll provide for you while he's helping you to remove that idol. So he goes back to Sidon to dwell there and, to, and he commands a widow to provide for him. I guess God could have perfected or picked anybody but he picked a widow because he knew she would do it. And then he he is fed and he is, he is taken care of because of God's provision. And they're looking everywhere but under the devil's nose. They're looking everywhere but where Baal worship started. Surely Elijah wouldn't be in the place where Baal worship started. But God took Elijah, the man of God, back there to pray to break down all those idols. And so he comes back and he tells after three and a half years, Luke chapter 4 tells us three years and six months, but most people just shorten it to three and a half years of no rain. He comes back in verse 18, and after it came to pass many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send a rain on the earth. I've come to tell you that in prayer Thursday night, the Lord told me that there is a rain coming he said that I, he, I was impressed that I hear the sound of abundance of rain. Abundance in the Bible just meant heavy rain. I believe that with the trouble that's coming on our earth is also going to come an abundance or heavy rain of the revival of God. And that Elijah story here today is just a picture to us of what God wants to do in the last days with his spirit. He's going to tell us to get out ahead of it. If you read further down, he says, so Elijah went and presented himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. They were located in Samaria. There's a lot to this story. I don't have time to go into all the details. There's so much to preach on this story that would bless your heart. Read 16, 17, and 18 if you want to. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of the house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And then you have, for it is so... For it was, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them fifty in a cave and had fed them with the bread and the water from Jezebel's table. <laughs> from the king's table, these prophets are eating and surviving. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land and of all, go into the land, to all the springs of water, into all the brooks, perhaps we may find grass to keep. And so they went out, and then, of course, we know that Elijah, Elijah told Obadiah, met Obadiah and told him to go get your king, 
And Ahab met with Elijah, and he said in verse 17, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord of the Lord, and have followed the Baals. In other words, he said, I went back to the source, and I'm praying my way all the way through everyone that's got an idol. I went all the way back to the source, and I'm starting there, and I'm tearing it all down, and now I've come for your false prophets, Ahab. I've come for your false prophets, 400 to Asheroth, or Asherah and 450 to Baal. I want you to have them meet me on Carmel for that showdown. He said, I've got revival in mind and I need to get rid of all those that have idols and all those that worship idols. Sometimes God will do a removal before he does a reign. Sometimes God will take things out before he brings blessing down. And we're in the moment of God taking some things out because blessing and reign is on its way, brothers and sisters sisters. I feel I stand under the presence of the Lord with a humble heart, and I'm not trying to scare anybody right now, but there are some things that are going to get taken out before we see the greatest revival the church has ever seen. And so now they're sinned and gather all of Israel, verse 18, verse 19. And so Israel came together at Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah or Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. She provides for them. You know Jezebel, she was wicked. And Ahab sent all the children of Israel to gather the prophet and to gather the prophets together at Mount Carmel. This is going to be the biggest display of unbelievable power of God. And Elijah came to them, and of course he said, you go first. It's one against 850. You go ahead. There's 450 prophets of Baal that start doing their thing. They start whatever they do. Maybe they played some drums. I don't know. They played some drums. They had some bongos. They had something going on. They had incense. Who knows what they had? But they were trying to call down rain from rain of fire on the sacrifice from their God. So what they did is they took two bulls, and one was to be set up as a sacrifice for the God of Israel to rain down fire upon, and the other was to be set up as a sacrifice for Baal. And then these 450 priests began to pray, and whichever God answered by fire, that, Elijah said, was the God who we should serve. And so Elijah lets them pray for a while. Some say, scholars say six, some say eight hours, depending on how you read the Bible. But wouldn't you be a bit bored if you had to sit around for eight hours waiting on God to answer? They didn't have a God. That's the point. They were praying to an idol. They had chiseled stone into an idol and made it their God. And anything you make with your hands, brothers and sisters, you will always have to prop up with your hands. Anything you make with your hands, you will always have to keep it secure yourself with your own hands. In other words, Dagon is going to fall over in the house of the Philistines when the real God shows up. Amen? Anything you build with your hands is only going to fall over when the pressure comes and when God steps in. And so we want to make sure we're worshiping the true and living God. And so they did this, and he began to, you know, poke fun at him a little bit. Maybe your God's daydreaming. Maybe your God's on a bathroom break. Maybe your God went on vacation. 
He's sitting with a non-alcoholic drink in Tahiti. Oh, that got quiet. <laughs> he's, he's, he's someplace where God, can, your God cannot be heard. And so he kind of poked fun at them. And he spent time just kind of jeering them on. And as they all made even more noise and began to cut themselves and, and make it even more emphatic, their worship to their Baal God, he still did not answer because he cannot. He's deaf and dumb. The God they built has a mouth but cannot speak. And the God they built had ears but cannot hear. But the God we serve has a mouth and can speak. And the God we serve has ears and he does hear. He hears every soul that cries to him and reaches for him. So we know that God began to impress upon Elijah and he began to build the altar again. One of the first steps you have to do in order to have God move is to rebuild broken down altars. You have to rebuild broken down altars. He used 12 stones, which we know represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he took that bull and he slayed it, just like the prophets of Baal. Everything was the same except for he built the altar. Amen. They built an altar that was possibly already there, used an altar. But I want to impress upon you, if you want to see a move of God, if you feel trouble and rain in your life and you have the covering that you need in prayer, you're going to have to stand over an altar, amen, and pray the prayers that you need to pray. You're going to have to build an altar in your life that you leave there and don't let life tear it down, amen? The word will come from that location. God will speak whenever you have a heart that wants to build an altar, and you will find a protection and a covering in that moment. So while they were making all kinds of racket and noise, they said, okay, Elijah, it's your turn. And he fell down on his feet, fell down on his knees, and he, after he had built the altar and put the sacrifice on it, and he began to pray. You find it wrapping up in 19, where he's praying to God. Then he said, go out and stand on the mount. Never mind, that's not it yet. I'm just ahead of myself. And Ahab told Jezebel all the, that Elijah had done. Let's back up in two verse in chapter 19, chapter 18. There's, God is responding. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and they gathered. And then in verse 37, it says, hear me, O Lord. I thought I marked it in my Bible, but I didn't. I just read it. Hear me, O Lord. Hear that this people may hear that this people may know that you are the Lord God, amen, that, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Who did the turning? God did. You may have responded, but God did the turning. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. Not only was it the burnt sacrifice, but he told the prophets to put water on the sacrifice this is a time of drought, brothers and sisters. This is a time when water is so scarce. But Elijah knew you don't offer God something on an altar that doesn't cost you anything. You don't go to God with something that's just convenient to you. You give God something that hurts, something that is truly difficult.
difficult situation. Like if you have a hard moment and you have to do something, you have to lay down your pride to come back to God or you have to lay down your pride to make it right in a relationship and say, I'm sorry, I did it wrong. I was trying to make something right. I focused on all the details instead of the relationship. I'm sorry if you have to do whatever it takes. Put something that costs you something on an altar to God and he will answer it with fire. He will come down on that sacrifice. David knew it. The forefathers knew it. You don't give God something that doesn't cost you anything. And so they built an altar and he's offering this prayer. And they have drenched, they built a trench around the sacrifice, one foot deep by one foot wide, roughly. And they filled it with water by dumping pots. The prophets brought four jugs of water and dumped it on them. And Elijah said, do it again. They did it again. He said, do it again. I want it to be known in Israel that no man walked up and tossed a match. There was no gasoline on the side, inflammatory situation where someone pulled a torch and lit this thing off. There is nothing that any human can do to make this thing burn. In other words, there is no flesh in Israel that has the capability to take a sacrifice like this and consume it. Only God can do what's coming next. And I've got a message for the church today that there is no flesh that can do what God's going to do next in our world. There is no place for human ego or human pride or human position in the things that God wants to do next in this life and in this church. God wants to do it and get the glory for it because only God deserves it. Only God deserves glory for what's coming next. And so God answers with fire and the people respond And of course, Jezebel says, I'm going to take you out for taking out the prophets because he killed all the prophets of Baal and killed all the prophets, I believe, of Asherah. And then Jezebel was upset about that and said, I'm going to do the same to you as as you did to them. And he goes from a firefall moment, a God moment like no other moment, to a... Depression can only be a depression that puts him beside a bush and says, there's nobody else who's serving you, God. I'm all alone, a selfish pity party. He had balloons. He had blowers. He had hats. This was a full-blown pity party. And did you know God has a problem? (laughs) We have some comments in the congregation, ladies and gentlemen. Put them online. They stay there forever. Go ahead and pull out your phone and pull up this live broadcast. Put the comments there. The funny thing is, God hates pity parties. God does not like it when you're self-absorbed. God does not like narcissistic people. 
He loves people. He does not like people who are self-absorbed, that think all the planetary systems revolve around them, that everybody and everything should make them feel more comfortable. In fact, you will do more for God outside your comfort zone than you will ever do being comfortable in the house of God or in your life. You ought to be nervous every time you walk to a pulpit preacher. You ought to be nervous every time you take the mic to lead worship. You ought to be nervous every time you pull out your guitar. Not because you're not ready for it, not because you didn't prepare, but you're worshiping God through that instrument. You're worshiping God through that praise. You're worshiping God and leading people to God through that preaching. You ought to know that flesh has no place when God has a move stored in store, God's word will go forward and then rain will come. But with the trouble comes a blessing and God sent rain to them. God sent rain, but he had him go tell Ahab, get up, eat, drink, get in your chariot and get down from here because I hear the sound of abundance of rain. He went back to Mount Carmel. Get the spot. The place where the victory was, was where he went to pray. Oh, my goodness. We go from glory to glory. He went back to pray where the victory was to bring a cloud the size of a man's hand. He sent his servant back and forth seven times to check on Why didn't he check on it? He's on top of Mount Carmel. Just look. Is there any clouds in the bay? It's a ways away. I know. I know the geographical location. But why didn't he just look himself? Because he was praying from a place of victory. He was asking God for something that hadn't happened in three and a half years. And I don't care about the year designation. I don't care about where the church is at. I don't care about how bad culture gets or society gets. When we're in a place of prayer to ask God for revival to hit this earth like has never hit this earth, you stop looking for the report and you wait for the report to come to you. You stop asking, is it here yet? And you let somebody tell you it's here. You don't have to look for it. You get on your knees in a place of victory. You get on your knees in a place of strength, and you begin to pray. He prayed at Mount Carmel. He prayed for what he didn't have from a place of victory. Do you understand what I'm saying? The first time he did it right, and God reigned on the earth. The second time he prayed from a low place. He did not use what God had taught him. That whenever you're waiting on God to help you in your struggle, you don't pray while you're stuck in a low place. You take yourself to a high place. That is why, brothers and sisters, I'm preaching this silly little sermon to you this Sunday about God moments. Because if you don't understand that you should not pray before you have praised him, you should not take your petitions to God before you have worshipped him. When you get up in the morning start with praise enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with prayer. what are you doing you're making sure that whatever you ask god next you are coming from a place of victory whatever you say god i need help with you're not praying from a place of depression you're not praying from a place of struggle you have praised your way in to the presence of god and now you're praying from a place of victory.
That's what praise does. It puts you in position to have God bring rain to your life. Somebody hear me today. You haven't had what you need from God because you've been praying from a low place. If you just praise your way into a place of victory, of knowing that it's bad, but it's not bad for God. It's not good for me right now, but it's always good with God. He hasn't lost his arm of strength. He hasn't lost his ability. He still can move in our midst. He still can do what we need done. God, I ask you that we not lean upon the places where we are, but we lean upon the victories that you've given us. And we pray from a victory place. We pray from the top of Mount Carmel where you showed your fire. We pray from a place of anointing where we speak in tongues when the fire first fell on us. God, help us to be a church full of revival prayers. Prayers that say, I know there's trouble. I know there's difficulty. But this isn't just a prayer umbrella. This is a revival umbrella. I've got a covering that says he's coming. I'm going to block the troubles and pray from a place of strength. I'm going to pray for revival in a place of victory. I'm not getting wet. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to let my spirit get soggy from all these troubles that are coming to our world. I am a child of God and I'm standing I'm standing I'm standing for the living God and these troubles shall not touch my soul these troubles shall not touch my soul I shall see the revival of the Lord because I'm praying from a place of victory oh God help us would you stand with me today Come on, let's give him praise. Worship singers, come. This altar's open. If you haven't found a way, if you haven't found a way to get out of where you've been, if you haven't found a way and you can't see what God is doing, just come and let, let God know that you trust him as the way maker, that you trust him as the one that's going to bring you through it. I pray to on somebody's heart would be open to understanding that I'm not going to pray from a place of depression. I don't know if you're in depression. You don't have to stay there today. You can come out today. I'm not talking about chemical imbalance. God can touch your body. God can heal you. But I'm praying you come with a place of victory. That you remind yourself how God has moved in your life. The miracles that God has done for you. The places that God provided. Pray from that place. 
Pray from the top of Mount Carmel. Pray from the place where God met you with fire. Pray from the place where God used you. If I can't find a preacher, what do I do? Pray in tongues. Pray in the Holy Ghost. That's where the fire fell on you. That's your Mount Carmel. Pray in the Holy Ghost. If you can't get out yourself, pray in the Holy Ghost. Where the fire fell on your tongue and you spoke in tongues. Pray from the top of your victories. Create a God moment right now. Create a God moment right now. You are here. You're turning lives around. I worship you. Pray from where the fire fell. I worship you. Pray from where the fire fell. You are here. You're working miracles. I worship you. I worship you. You're here. 